Okay, turn in your Bibles to the book of First Peter, way back in the Old Testament. Many months ago, I started a whole series. Oh yes, you have the notes. You guys are going to pass some notes out for you. Uh, many months ago, I started a series entitled Letters from the Forgiven Fishermen, and that's what First and Second Peter is. Uh, these are letters from the Apostle Peter, inspired by God and preserved for us, so that we can learn from the things that God taught him as a disciple and uh, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write things to the churches. It was written to churches scattered abroad all over the place and uh, some who were undergoing great tribulation and trial. And I think it can be very helpful to us. We're going to be in chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. You should have your notes so you have an idea where we're going. 1 Peter chapter 4 and beginning in verse 12. So if you would follow along as I read through that passage of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 down to verse 19. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of the glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him. In well-doing, as unto a faithful creator. Now, I have a confession to make to you this morning. And as I was studying, I was reminded of my need to make that confession to you. You need to hear it, so listen up. You may need to have to make the same confession, I'm not sure. I know I need to do better based upon my studies of this passage of Scripture. And I'm thinking that maybe you do as well. So what is the problem? What is it that I'm telling you that I need to confess? Here you go. I don't enjoy suffering. I want to fit in with everybody. I want to be liked by everybody. I don't, and I don't enjoy the possibility that someday I may be persecuted for my faith. I don't like to suffer. Am I the only one? Yeah. Well, that's what Peter is addressing. The fact that these things are going to come our way and we need to be prepared for it is very important. You know, at one time, Peter uh, gave in to this desire to fit in. He gave in to this fear of being shunned or persecuted. Do you remember? Jesus was being taken to the judgment hall. And Peter followed from afar, sat down with some people around a fire. And somebody said, you, you were one of his. He said, "Uh uh-uh. And somebody else said, yeah, you were. He says, no way. I don't know that guy. And a little girl finally got him. Says, yes, I know you were there. And he cursed and swore and ran off and the rooster crowed. You know what happened there. That's what happened. 
That's what happens sometimes. We are afraid, we are fearful, we want to fit in, we don't want to suffer, we don't want to be persecuted, and so we don't always stand for the Lord like we should. Thankfully, Peter got over it. Not too long after that, he stood up and preached to a a crowd where 3,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And he remained faithful. He was an author of Scripture. He was a starter of churches. He opened up things for the gospel in many places, in many ways. And Jesus had told him before he went to heaven himself that, Peter, one day you're going to be led off some way you don't want to go. And you're going to be lifted up like Jesus was. And history tells us that Peter was indeed crucified for his faith upside down because he was not worthy of dying the same way his Savior died in his own mind. Thank the Lord that he can take someone who's fearful of suffering and fearful of pain and fearful of persecution and turn them into a mighty soldier of the cross. And if you are like me and you have that innate desire to preserve your own life and to preserve your own decency and to to keep people from insulting you and hurting you and all of that, if you will walk with the Lord, you can get over that and you can be used of the Lord as well. Now, Peter, when he was writing this, this was written just shortly before A.D. 64. And what's he say in the beginning? He says uh, in uh, verse 12, he said, uh, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. I don't know if he knew this or not. I don't know if he knew this was coming or not, but under inspiration, he wrote that to Christians that were scattered all around the Roman government or all around the Roman province, all around the Roman Empire, some who lived in Rome. And in A.D. 64, a fiery trial went to Rome. Emperor Nero wanted to see the city rebuilt. Kind of reminds me of the cranes that are going throughout our city and the old houses that are going down and the big buildings that are going up in their place. Nero wanted to build a powerful, beautiful city. And somehow a fire got started. The people thought Nero started it. He may or may not have. But we do know that while it was burning, Nero was, was excited and he, was, he, was, he thought it was great. The little houses, the little businesses, all those things were burning up. The Roman soldiers were told, don't put the fire out. And matter of fact, some of the Roman soldiers actually added to the fire made the problem worse. Because Nero wanted to rebuild the city of Rome. And many Christians suffered fiery trials because of what happened there. And not long after that, Nero knew that it was politically bad for him to have that on his neck. And so he found a scapegoat and he blamed the Christians. People back then didn't like Christians. They thought of them as cannibals. When they knew the Lord's Supper, remember Jesus said, do you partake of my body and my blood? Well, they thought they were cannibals. And they were really doing that. And then the Christians were known for greeting one another with a Holy kiss, kind of like they do up in Canada. It always drives me crazy when I go up there and see people up there. They kiss my cheeks. It freaks me out, but they do it. But that's the way Christians used to greet one another. Now we shake hands or bump elbows now or fists. That's what we do. Uh, But um, in those days, they they greeted each other with a a holy kiss. and, 
And in the Romans' minds, that meant that they were sexually deprived and they were always trying to get into uh, wrong, illicit relationships. And so the Romans didn't like Christians. Of course, all of that was exaggerated and all of that was out of proportion. But Nero fed on that and he said, okay, we're going to blame the Christians for the fire. The Christians started the fire. And so persecution began. And it wasn't long after that that Nero would literally capture Christians, wrap them in animal skins, dip them in oil, and light them on fire to light the games in Rome. Persecution came to the Roman, to the Christians. Persecution, fiery trial. Now, under inspiration, I think Peter was preparing the Christians for that day. And I also believe that because God preserved it for you and me, that maybe the Lord's preparing us for some persecution that's coming our way. I don't know. There's a lot that's going on in our world these days. Let's start off with that first point in our sermon today. Expect suffering. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. I think Brother Abube mentioned it in his prayer. We as American Christians have it so easy. We really do. Here we're able to sit in this beautiful building and we get to dress up and look nice and sing songs. And, and there's, there aren't soldiers out there waiting to get us. In some places in this world today, I think of Myanmar right now, where Christians are huddled in fear, where soldiers are surrounding them. Some have been actually shot and killed for their faith. Brother Ibube, or Brother Babalola down in Nigeria recently sent us a letter saying in Nigeria there are people who are standing outside of his church in Nigeria and people are trying to come in and others are actually physically grabbing people and say, don't go in there trying to keep them from going. He's concerned for his family, and so he's asking us to pray that God will put him in a safer place to live with his family. He has a wife and two lovely young children. They're suffering persecution. There are places right now in this world where Christians are in prison for their faith. There are places right now in this world where the government goes in and says, we're not going to let you have a church, and they knock the steeple off the top of the church, take the crosses off the building, and sometimes actually bulldoze the building so the Christians don't have a place to meet. Up in Canada recently, they were told not to have meetings, and some churches had meetings, and the government went and put fences around their church so they could not meet. I know there was a COVID crisis, but that's some of the things that's going on in this world today. We have it quite easy. But I believe in our world that the winds may be changing in America. I believe we need to be prepared. And we should not be surprised if suffering comes to us for our faith. Paul said, don't, or Peter said, don't be surprised by this. That's the norm for Christians. That's the way it's been throughout history. Thank the Lord we have a nation that was founded on some basic Judeo-Christian principles and And uh, the Ten Commandments are kind of the foundation for a lot of our laws. But you watch the media and you watch what's happening in the the State House and in the the White House and in the the Capitol. and, And some things are shifting. And we need to be prepared. Now, don't be surprised by suffering. Expect suffering. Jesus told us to expect suffering as a Christian. In John chapter 15, verse 18... He said, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. The Apostle Paul told us to expect suffering as a Christian. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You've read that. The Apostle John told us to expect suffering as a Christian. Marvel not, 1 John 3.13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We are foolish to believe that we're going to be popular as Christians. You know it from your opportunities to witness in the workplace. You know it from your opportunities to witness at school. You know it that some of your neighbors don't want to be around you because, oh, you're church people. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. But we've been commissioned to preach a gospel to people whether they want to hear it or not, right? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. You've heard that? I think Jesus said that, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 to 24, the Apostle Paul said, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We have what the world needs. And we should be willing to share that wherever we go. You know, the, we, we don't understand sometimes. I mean, we're, we're nice. We're good people. We, we feed people. We, we try to be kind to people. We're just trying to help people go to heaven, Right? We're just, we're, we're really trying to be good people. We try not to lie and cheat and steal and all those things. We try to be honest citizens. We try to be all those things, but people are still not going to like us. This began way back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 4. You got two brothers, Abel and Cain, right? Cain and Abel both bring offerings to the Lord and God looks at Abel's offering and says, wow, that's great. That's exactly what I want. He looks at Cain's offering and he says, nah, that's not what I'm looking for. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 tells us Cain's response to Abel's righteousness. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, Cain was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore, or why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Unsaved people, people who don't want to follow the Lord, aren't going to like Christians. Because when they see a Christian who's doing what's right and living for the Lord and has joy in the Lord and loves to read his Bible and loves to pray and loves to go to church and all those things, they feel deep conviction in their heart. And they say, I don't like that because I don't want to feel convicted i got to do what I can to stop that so I can keep living in my sin. So, expect suffering. Expect to be insulted. Expect to not be liked. But serve the Lord anyway. Do what's right anyway. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes from you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening unto you. 
So what should we do? Number two, exult in God's purpose for suffering. Exult, that's a word we don't use very often. You've got to remember that suffering doesn't just happen to us. Verse 12 talks about it happening to us. It doesn't just happen to us. There's a purpose behind it. The Lord brings these things into our lives for a purpose. Exalt is not a word we often use in the English language. It just fit really well with our outline because I try to use E's for all the letters, okay? Make it easy for you to follow along. What does exalt mean? It means rejoice. Be glad. Get excited about this. Get excited about suffering. Whoa. Why is suffering for Christians a reason to rejoice? Just three quick things. Suffering identifies us with Jesus. Secondly, it allows us to share in Christ's future glory. Thirdly, suffering brings the Holy Spirit's comfort to us. Let's take a look at those things. Verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. You know, when you are going through sufferings, you're being like Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40, the disciples were preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus and religious people who did not like their message came and commanded them not to preach in the name of Jesus. When the religious leaders of their day had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They beat them and let them go. And the disciples departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wonderful. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. We ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith, in all your persecutions and troubles that you, tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. So rejoice when you suffer as a Christian because you're identified with Jesus Christ. Secondly, rejoice as a Christian when you suffer because you are going to share in Christ's future glory. It says in verse 13, when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. When Christ is glorified, those who suffer with him are also going to be glorified in heaven. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, you know these verses, 28 to 30, you know these verses well. And we know that all things, including suffering, including insults, including not being like, being ostracized and all those things. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom Christ did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. So when we suffer for the Lord, there's glory in it. When we suffer for the Lord, people take notice of that if we do it with the right spirit. I often think back to Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail. They'd been doing right. They'd been preaching the gospel. They'd been helping people. They even cast demons out of a woman. And then they found themselves in the middle of the jail, locked by the stocks and persecuted for their faith. And in the middle of the night, they sat around and said, woe is me, I'm undone, you know, just, just take me out, Lord, I'm done. No. 
They sang hymns and praised God. The earthquake came. The jail doors were opened. The, the jailer came in and because he had heard the joy of the Lord in the middle of their suffering, he said, what must I do to be saved? I need what you have. And he took them home to his house. The jailer took the prisoners to his house, cleaned them up, introduced them to the family, and the whole family came to know the Lord. Why? Because Paul and Silas knew how to suffer and rejoice in the middle of their sufferings. Now that doesn't mean suffering is going to be taken away from us. I don't know what the future holds for us as Christians. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to you this week if you stand up for the Lord. I have no idea. But I do know that if you suffer as a Christian, God is going to transform it and it's going to be well worth it. Jesus used the illustration of a woman in travail, a woman giving birth. I've never done that. I don't ever want to do that. I've heard about that. And you ladies know what I'm talking about. It's not fun. It's not joyful at all until the baby comes. And then, yeah, Tara's nodding her head. It's worth it. Look at those big guys sitting next to her. She brought those guys into the world. Can you believe that? No wonder she has so much pain. Folks, if we live for the Lord, it is worth it. It is worth it. Rejoice, verse 14, for the Holy Spirit's comfort is coming to you during your sufferings. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. In the Old Testament, there was this Shekinah glory that came down on the temple, and it glowed, and, and everybody knew the presence of the Lord was there. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen Christians who have walked with the Lord and gone through difficulties and been a faithful witness, and it's almost as if their face glows. There's so much joy in them. I think of some of you that I've seen you witnessing, and, and I know the joy of the Lord is there. It's a kind of rest that only the Holy Spirit can give in the middle of difficulty, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor, Christians, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the kind of rest that only the Holy Spirit can give. Jesus said he was going to leave, and then he was going to send a comforter, right? And he brings rest to our spirits when we serve the Lord and suffer for it. He gave it to Stephen. You remember in the book of Acts, chapter 6, Stephen is preaching the gospel, and they're gathering together against him, and they're gnashing their teeth against him, and they do not like him, and they're insulting him, and they hate him. And it says in verse 15 of Acts, chapter 6, while that was going on, his face, they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. And then later on, that made him even more mad. So they came after him some more, and they didn't like it at all. And they started picking up rocks, and they actually threw rocks at him until he was facing death. In verse 55, while the stones are being thrown, he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly unto heaven and saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then he was preparing to die. And in verse 59, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's the kind of rest that the Holy Spirit can give you and me when we suffer for the Lord. We should not be surprised by suffering. We should rejoice in our suffering. But it's also important that we explore the reasons for our suffering. That's the third point on your notes there. Verses 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. We're not to take matters into our own hands to seek revenge. We're not to hate people who persecute us. We're to love them anyway. The Bible said that Jesus, even as they drove nails into his hands, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My wife and I recently watched the film The Hiding Place. I think you can watch it on Netflix or something. Netflix or I don't know, whatever. You can find it. The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom suffered back in the World War II, hiding Jews during those days. And she was persecuted, ended up in a concentration camp, and she ended up, a sister died, her father died in, in that prison. They were a wealthy family, and they lost it all. But she maintained the joy of the Lord in spite of it, and even afterwards, she continued to love the persecutors who had put her in that situation. And God has used her, God used her, she's gone to heaven now, all over the world, to show the love of Christ, even to those who persecuted her. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. So when you're out there this week, and you're witnessing to that co-worker, or you're witnessing to that neighbor, or you're witnessing to that fellow student at school, or whoever it is you come across, and they mock you, don't get bitter, don't get angry, That's all they know. Love them for Jesus' sake. Don't suffer as a murderer, even in your heart. Christians are not to justify stealing, even from their tormentors. Christians are not to willfully sin in any way to avoid suffering. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says this, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's what you and I need to be known for, even in the middle of persecution. Love for our enemies. Love for those who hurt us. Now, there's another thing at the end of that verse, um, verse 15, that doesn't seem quite as important as murder and stealing and evil doing. It says, or as a busybody in other men's matters. You know, we as Christians can be the most judgmental people in the world. We look at people and the way they live and we go, that's dumb, that's wrong, that's sinful, that's evil, that's wicked. Oh, we, we, we hate that. 
We need to love people where they are, point them to Jesus Christ, and help them to get there. We shouldn't be known to be busybodies or always in everybody's business trying to find out what they're doing wrong so that we can condemn it. We know that's going on. We know they're sinning. We know that's, that's their nature. That's our nature, by the way, until we know the Lord Jesus and are living for him and he begins to transform us and change us into his image. And so we need to learn to accept people where they are and help them see what the gospel has to say to them, what Jesus has for them a way out. We're not to be out there in the streets and yelling at people and screaming at people and trying to twist people's arms. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 11 says, study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Second Thessalonians three eleven and 12. We hear that there are some who which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So when you are persecuted, just keep plugging. Just keep going. Just keep serving. Just keep loving as Jesus did. Let the Holy Spirit work in their hearts. Let them use, Him use you and your sufferings. Too often we bring trouble on ourselves by our sinful ways. This thought came to me this morning. We can be so critical when we need to be compassionate. We can be so critical when we should be compassionate. Examine your heart, brothers and sisters. Where are you in this matter? Verse 16 tells us there's only one right reason for our suffering. We need to get there quickly. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. You know, the title Christian is only found three times in the New Testament. And every single time the word Christian is used, it's a derogatory term. You know that? Someone said this, the idle and witty people of Antioch, who we know from heathen writers, were famous for inventing nicknames. Acts chapter 11 verse 26 says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What well, was Antioch? This was a place where Gentiles were being converted and coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And churches were growing and missionaries were being sent out. And these people of Antioch came up with a nickname for the Christians. You know, they had a nickname for those who liked Caesar. It was a Greek term and it basically means little Caesars, not the pizza joint. And so when they came up with this name for Christians, it was little Christs, little Christs. You're a Christian. Hey, I have heard the term Christian used with disdain in our own news media recently. They're Christians. Don't be surprised by that. We've become very comfortable with the term. We like the term. We adopt the term. We want the term. But not everybody likes the term. And not everybody likes us because we're identified with Jesus. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is talking to King Agrippa, the Jewish king. And he's getting ready to go to jail. And, and Paul gives his defense before Agrippa. And Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You can just hear him almost cursing when he says it. People don't like Christians. 
But in the verse that we just read, if any suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. To suffer as a Christian is merely to suffer because we're doing right. And those who are doing wrong come under such conviction when they see us that they can't stand us. We know what happened between Cain and Abel. That's what it was. Cain didn't like Abel because Abel was righteous and he was wrong. That's the way it is in this world today. And yet, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we need to move along quickly. So let's go on to verse 17 and 18. We should not be surprised by suffering. We should rejoice in the opportunity to identify with Christ's sufferings. We should make sure that we are not suffering because of our own sinfulness. And we should never be ashamed if we suffer for the sake of the gospel. Verse 17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. We must examine the end of all suffering. You know, Christians right now, verse 17 talks about this. Right now we're going through some suffering. We go through sufferings as Christians. We get denied. People don't want to be around us. People laugh at us. People mock us. But remember, we suffer now and have heaven later. But on the other end of the coin, if you flip it over, what happens to those who don't, reject, don't accept the Lord? Verse 17, the time has come and judgment must begin at the house of God. This is a purifying thing for us. This is something that makes us more like the Lord Jesus. Job said, when I'm tried, I am purified, I shall come forth as gold. We're going to come out better on the other end because of suffering now. It says in verse 18, the righteous scarcely be saved. It means it's hard sometimes to live the Christian life and yet we're saved. But you have the end of verse 16, um, uh, or verse uh, what, verse 17, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Flip the coin. Right now, those who are in this world fit into this world, and they're accepted by this world, and they enjoy the parties of this world, and they enjoy all the fun of this world, and the wealth of this world, and all the benefits of this world, all the entertainment of this world, all the things that this world has to offer. They're having a great time. Like the rich man in Luke chapter 16, who fared sumptuously every day compared to the beggar Lazarus who sat at his table and the rich man threw him food once in a while. But Lazarus had accepted the Lord and the rich man had not. And in hell, the rich man raised up his eyes being in torment. So when you look at your persecutors and those who make fun, at you, fun of you and those who mock you and those who dismiss you because you're a Christian, love them. This is all the heaven they have. Show them how they can have the true heaven. Show them how they can get to the heaven that is with God. Unbelievers now enjoy life with the prospects of eternal suffering. And we could go into that. We're not going to go into it. Yes, let's look at it quickly. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. If you're here today and you're an unbeliever and you have been one who has mocked Christians or you have dismissed Christians or you thought, eh, I don't know if that's for me or not. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter there through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few that find it. John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Acts 4, 12. There's salvation in no other. 
For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 11, whosoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John three eighteen. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light, Jesus, is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. It's absolutely imperative that if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you become one of those despised Christians. That you trust Jesus Christ for salvation. I beg of you, run to Jesus. Don't run from him. Christians, be faithful. Remember, God has provided a way. And we must share that with them. Verse 19 ends with a great promise for us. Wherefore, let, him, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-being, well-doing, as unto a faithful creator. Suffering Christian, remember, God is faithful. He's your creator. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 says, everything that he created was good. 2 Corinthians talks about if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. It's going to be great. We have the promise of heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. All of this is awaiting those who put their trust in God. John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. So we can rest in God's promises. In the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our trials, we can rejoice in them, knowing of a blessed end for those who put their trust in Christ. That word there, commit, it's the idea of entrusting. It's the idea of, of placing your values in an unbreakable vault like you do with your money at the bank. It's safe. It's secure. The Lord himself will keep you to the end. So in spite of your suffering, Christians, be faithful. God is with us. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. And go on and serve him. Father, thank you for the promises we have in your word. Thank you that you are a faithful and a good God, our creator. You do all things well. I pray, Lord, that if there's one here today who has not yet come to know the Lord in that way, 
that you would draw them to yourself, even now. And for that Christian who is discouraged, downhearted because of difficulties that they're going through, help them to examine themselves to see why they're going through the troubles. And if there's sin, help them to repent. If they're doing right, help them to rejoice. Give us what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a hymn that I came to my mind as I was studying. It's not one we sing a lot. Some might think it's a little hokey, but that's all right. I like it. I can be hokey. 383. 383. There's a great message in this hymn. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. 